Welcome back to That Rugby Podcast. Uh, we are the Sports Move. It is Luke and Hughesy here on the Monday after the Rugby Union World Cup final. Devastation. Yep. I'm glad we're both wearing black. Um, yeah, for morning, general? you know. Yep, yep. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what it feels like right about now. Um, a South African yeah. victory and we all have to sit here and just accept it, I guess. Yeah, I, it was definitely... One of the more controversial World Cup finals, I think you could say. Um, I, you know, on on the one side there is the uh, absolute battle that South Africa went through in all three of their games, winning by a single point. So you got to hand in respect for that, for hanging tough in those situations. On the other hand, New Zealand played with their hand tied behind their back for most of the game. I think it was there was maybe a total of ten minutes of game time where they had a full. 15 man compliment between the first yellow card and then Sam Kane's red card. Um, and then there's probably about 20 minutes of game time total where they had even numbers due to the South African yellow card. So to do that and to be only to only lose by a point to South Africa, defending world champs is a, a huge effort on the all blacks part, but man, oh man. And I say this as, as a neutral party, neither New Zealand or South Africa. I don't, and this is obviously going to be the main talking point. I don't understand how one is a red card and one is not. I get they they, they put out the reasons, the mitigations for Sia Khaleesi's one, but I don't think there was enough of a difference between that and Sam Kane's for Sam Kane to have gotten a red card. Or if he did, then Khaleesi should have got one as well, because to me there wasn't enough difference in those actions to to delineate that one is a red card and one is a yellow in a world cup final. Like even in any other match, I feel like there's not enough there. And just in general, I felt like the Sam came on was pretty soft anyway, you know? Yeah. As a uh, biased all black supporter, I'm going to surprise you here and I'm actually going to disagree with you. And I'm going to say, I think every card was the right decision. Um, And, and I say this only because I'm glad they made the decisions they made in a Rugby World Cup final. Because I think if you go with the Sam Kane to be a just a yellow card, you are, like, that, I think, met the red card threshold. Um, now, I actually don't put a lot of blame on Sam Kane in that position. And again, I, mm. I will say this. The, the reason I don't do that, I think, Jesse Curl, yes, has changed directions, but he hasn't dipped in his height. If you actually watched that back, and I've watched it that moment back a couple of times now, Sam Kane... When he when he comes in to make that tackle, is never expecting to make a tackle. He isn't he as he's coming there. He's doing what a good seven does and just taking space, and he just didn't have the reaction time to dip at all. Is the way yeah. I saw it. I don't think he even went in there planning to make a tackle on Jesse Krill. Jesse Krill just stepped across and as a good seven, you put your body in the way and, and make a tackle. And the way I keep saying this, that players are going to learn for the past twenty years. That's been a great tackle from a number seven putting pressure on, making that tackle, being in the right position. Sam Crane, other than the past two, three years, most of his life, that's a good tackle. You know what I mean? I know it's up high yeah. and it does make head contact and everything, but if it, pre-us changing the laws and the, the head contact and everything like that, that I don't think gets called as a, as a high tackle. Um, so, again, I, I, I see that. See a Khaleesi's, you can see the clear dip. I, I'm one to always go, head-on-head contact is just, part of the game, especially when you're tackling like that. So I see it. The one I actually find more controversial is the um, 
Shannon Frizzell one purely because mm. I'm again there's no doubt it shouldn't have been a red card. He never intended to hit the legs. I know it's it's weird as well, and this is something I guess we're gonna have to push and talk about probably further. But in New Zealand, like a roll challenge like that in a ruck is completely fine. Like you can go in there and as they call it here, a crocodile roll, as long as it's not around the neck, it's fine. Mm. I know in the Northern Hemisphere it's a big no-no. Like, even trying to roll in any tackle is a no-no. And the reason is, is what happens is you end up landing on players' knees like that. But, again, we're getting to this point where coming into a breakdown, I don't know, there's not a lot of things you can do to remove players anymore. Because if you dip yeah. and you don't get that right, you make head contact, there's just a lot. And, again, all we keep asking for is consistency. And I think those decisions were consistent on what you would call in a regular game, and I'm glad they made those decisions in a World Cup final. It sucks. It obviously sucks. And a lot of people had said at pre-World Cup that, hey, this World Cup's going to get decided by a red card. I don't think the final mm. ended up being decided by the red card, but that's, a, I guess, a credit to the All Blacks team for hanging in there um, and, and making, a, 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 I guess, a competition of it. Uh, but I actually, and I'm probably in the minority of New Zealand fans here, thought Wayne Barnes had a had a pretty decent game. And Well, I, I actually think Wayne Barnes had a good game. I think the TMO probably got involved a little bit too much. That, for for me, for, for watching the game, even if it was a World Cup final, it was a regular test match, I don't want to be hearing the TMO that much. I don't want to be going back that far for some of the things they went back for. It's like, the past is the past now, all right? It's like it's it's so far back because again it's consistency, right? Yeah. If I go back to the Australia versus Argentina game in the rugby championship, if we're going back that far for the New Zealand non-try, where they went back and looked at the line out and they saw the knock on there, why didn't they go back all that way in the Argentina versus Australia game where there was a knock on prior to scoring the try and nowhere near as many phases as what it was in this game? So do we know how many? Because I thought there was a rule. I thought it was two phases, but. I'm assuming there isn't I'm, that role anymore. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But for me, I agree with you. Consistency. I actually thought Wayne Barnes, I agree, Wayne Barnes had a really good game. I liked his calls. I liked how he actually spoke to players, got involved, didn't let anything get too out of hand, let the game play a bit. But I didn't want to hear the TMO chirping in that much, you know? Like, they they brought it. They brought in cards that I think if the referee isn't seeing that it's a card, I don't know if it's that obvious that it should then become a card later, you know? Like, for me, the TMO shouldn't... The TMO should be there for the referee to reference. The TMO shouldn't be actively contacting the referee and saying, hey, we've seen something back here. That, for me, I think that is bad for rugby. Yeah. I don't like that at all. I think the TMO should be there, like, in American football, the uh, where a referee can say, hey, can you check this? Because I don't know... I'm not, I don't know what happened here, or I think something happened here. I need clarification. Um, I don't like that the TMO can just jump into the referee's ear and break the flow of the game. I don't think that's right. You know, and I think, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, I the, agree. I'm sure that means that people will, will get away with some stuff, but I think that's better for the flow of the game and for the, for the, for the game as a whole. Yeah, I agree. And I think the only time they should step in is complete and utter foul play. Like, yeah. Um, when there is something like a punch or something like that. Um, and yeah, and I guess as we sit here and talk about all this stuff as well, I think World Rugby probably will look into this as well. Like, 
Holy Savia penalty was obviously one that Wayne Barnes missed, and he admitted he missed. Yeah. It. And I think that takes great courage from a referee on the field to say mm. to a player when you're mic'd up and you know that's going to be heard by everyone that hey, I missed that call. That wasn't that wasn't correct. But um, mm. the re- the TMO can't mm. change that call now. But why can he go back and check that knock on? Like again, exactly. Again, I, I don't. You want, should be able to reverse calls. You know, if we're going to say one thing, let's do it all again. Consistency is all we're asking for, but. Let's digress off the referee chat and everything like that. In yeah. the end, look, Wayne Barnes, I thought, was is the right man for the job in a rugby mm-hmm. World Cup final, and I think she'll continue to do so. I think they'll look into everything to, to, that happened in that game, and that's that's a good thing, I think, for rugby. And as again, we just want consistency, and as we start to adapt to these more consistent rules and, and, and plays, I think rugby will become better for it. Um, yeah. I just think they made a lot of brave decisions on the day that I'm glad they made. As much mm-hmm. as it hurts to look back now, um, yeah, I'm glad they made. I also just want to mention as well, it's really interesting. But I hope rugby doesn't go this way as we're we've seen with soccer or football, um, where players going down can cause a check. Now Jesse Creel didn't come off for an HIA, mm-hmm. but he was down after the Sam Kane tackle, and then ended up being a red card. Now there are clips of Ebenezer leading with a forearm into a contact with Sam Kane. If Sam Kane stays down there, that probably gets reviewed, and then there's probably something from there. And I'm not saying, mm. again, that Jesse Krill took a dive, because you take a contact to the head, you've got a right to sit down. And even if it yeah. Sam Kane's wasn't the most forceful one you've ever seen, you've still taken contact to the head. So I'm not going to mm. sit here and blame them for going down. But I just don't want to see, hey, I felt something got hit, I'm going to stay down now. Like Sam Kane kept playing with... Ebenet Smith to the head, and there was one, oh, I can't remember who it was. I think, oh, it was Argentina-Wales. And you can see a, a clean-out in the quarterfinal ended up making contact with the head, and the player's taken a pretty clear dive afterwards. And yeah. in the end, it wasn't a card, and I was so thankful for that. And I just want to make sure we don't have players rolling around on the floor. It's, it's coming into NRL. It's coming into NRL a lot. Like, after contact, instead of getting up and playing the ball, they sit there and they go, oh, and look at the referee, like, like, you know, like, tr- like check that. And then the referee will stop the game. They'll check it. And then someone will get Sinbindo reported or something like that. And yeah, I 100% agree. 100% agree. It's, it, there's no place for that in rugby. That trying to game the system um, and exploit it for really not what it's intended for. That's not, it, sh- it shouldn't be in rugby. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. But let's move on to the actual game. All Blacks still mm. had a chance to win it. Um, oh, the, the fact that it came down to a missed kick is pretty incredible. Exactly. exactly. You know, and or two missed kicks, really, you know, because he had the long-range, there was the long-range penalty and there was the conversion, and both yep. were close as well. Like, the fact that it came down to that, for me, I would be so... I, I can't even imagine how you feel. I would feel so frustrated, the fact that you fought so hard, and it came down to that, and that you, you could have won. You It wasn't like... You know, I, I think it would be one thing if the red card happened and then you were torpedoed from there and you were like, well, we got smashed. The red card meant we were never really in it. But with this, it's like we were legitimately in this game. You know, there was opportunities and it just came down to to kicking and we didn't execute that. And, you know, and then even controversially, the Artie Savia one as well. They got an extra kick that they then got points from. It's just it, it just shows you all the different things that come in that could factor into a, into a win. And no matter when you've got two quality teams like New Zealand and South Africa, no matter what circumstances you find them, you can never count them out. Yeah, and I think that was big for me. Like, 
I look back and I go, we were the better team. And this doesn't often happen in rugby where the better team loses. Like, you can, again, referencing football or soccer, a better team can go out there and another team can park the bus and lose 1-0. No team, even the South Africans, I wouldn't say park the bus. They played their style, which is mm-hmm. we actually, I think, managed it very well. And yeah. uh, funnily enough, I shanked a nice wee goal kick, not this weekend because we had the weekend off, but the weekend before I might put the clip up and as I'm saying this, shanked a goal kick from about 15 metres straight out in front type thing like it was terrible, miserable, disgusting. Yeah. And uh, I'm not, not a renowned goal kicker in my time, um, but I was uh, put up because I do play 10. And the coach, as we were talking at training on Tuesday, he goes, a good goal kicker will never lose you a game. You know, goal kicking doesn't lose you a game, but a good one can definitely win you a game. And mm. I don't think something rung, rung more true, and it's not saying Wonga or Barrett are bad kickers, of course not, like they've been good throughout the tournament. But two missed kicks, if we make those kicks, we, we win the game. And uh, if, you, if you make one of those kicks, exactly. even. if you make one of those kicks or if um, South Africa miss a kick, it's just... Exactly. exactly. So that is, is that, And that's... Well, I guess I can ta- at least I can take away from there were so many moments in that game where I think we just got unlucky and there was yeah. the chip chip kick over the top for Adi Savia, that the bounce of the ball. Oh, it was one it of was, those games where yeah. you look back and you go, there were so many opportunities, so mm. many moments. South Africa, to their credit, took every one of their chances. Like yeah. They didn't create a lot of chances, but when they got their chances, they turned them into points and they defended mm. like crazy. And, and men in the match, Peter Sefter toy. Um, oh, so 28 tackles against the All Blacks mm. in a Rugby World Cup final is just something special. So, look, I actually and I sat there and I went. There were some bold calls Ian Foster made uh, mm. with sub- substitutions, bringing Finlay Christie on, like Aaron Smith, quite clearly being our best halfback, taking off mm. Will Jordan, um, and they were all the right calls, all the right calls. I think in yeah. my mind, bringing actually the only one I would have probably changed is I would love to see D Mac on probably about five minutes earlier. Yeah, um, I think it was a bit too late because you, you got to get into the game. You got to exactly. get into he, the feel of it, and yeah. you could tell when he was on. There was a spark change where it was like, okay, we're yeah. running the ball now, and yeah, that's probably it. But again, Ian Foster, from where we were a year ago mm. to where we are now, like in a Rugby World Cup final, we're losing by a point to uh, the South Africans. I go just credit to credit we credit is due, you know, like yeah. just. Ian Foster's done a great job. Even the South Africans, there was, you know, you look back to Mount Smart where we ran rings around them for a bit. They've turned up. They only beat Wales 2-1 a series ago. Like, it wasn't like this build-up to the South African team. You expected them to go in and beat France by a point, then beat England by a point, and then back it up and win in the World Cup final by a point. Um, So, yeah, I think standouts to them was obviously uh, Detroit, and then Cheslin Kobe's just... He's something yeah. else, isn't he? He's a, he's a rugby union player you've ever seen one. Like, his mm-hmm. ability around the park, just his versatility, thought he was fantastic. Um, actually, I give credit to Itzabeth. I thought he had a good game. Um, mm. They fixed their line-out issues and actually caused us line-out issues from a week ago. So, again, on top there. Foot for the All Blacks, Mark Talia, nine defenders yeah, beat in just a, a... Really good game. A freak of nature when it comes to breaking tackles. Um, mm. I, I think... I give a lot of credit, actually, to the, the, the whole four pack there. You're, you're down a, a flanker for most of the game. Geordie Barrett's your number six, who yeah, 
I can't yeah. imagine has done a lot of scrummaging in his Scrum- life. No. At least he's a big lad. It would be up to a, a close yeah. to 100 kicks. He would have just um, asked his brother, like, what, how, what do I do, you know? <laughs> how do I get my head in here? Scott, um, Scott, help me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that four-pack to hold the scrum, to not give away any scrum penalties, yeah. and to right at the end there, that last scrum, if it stays in, South Africa do a great job getting it out. If it stays in there much longer, I think we win a penalty there. And mm. obviously, penalty to win the Rugby World Cup there, goal kick at the end you take. Um, but yeah, it just it sucks. It's, it's going to suck. For, it's going to hurt for the next four years, you know, because we're right there in the moment, so close, but yet so far away. And now I have to listen to Saffers. We have to listen to Saffers for the next four years. Parade yeah. another World Cup, eight years in total. That hurts. It does. It is not fun. Yeah, not fun. Oh well. That is the Rugby World Cup done and dusted. Yeah. Um, obviously, now we move into, and this is the four-year cycle, which is now to the Australian World Cup as we move on pretty quickly. Um, a lot of players departing from New Zealand, from South Africa especially. Not a lot from Australia's World Cup squad, surprisingly. So, um, <laughs> But someone who is departing, head coach Eddie Jones, it's finally happened. Mate, yeah, it's, it's still so it's still so strange because the all it, it it still feels like a smokescreen because there's just so many languages like he's set to depart or he's uh, reportedly made his intention clear to leave Rugby Australia and it's like it's really frustrating because you just it, for the last two months basically we've wanted to just hear a clear answer from Eddie one way or the other and it just hasn't come out with it so. It's very frustrating from a fan's perspective that we're getting all these reportedly so or led to believe X, Y, and Z. Um, Look at the years going, you know, it's going to be probably one of the darkest points in uh, Rugby Australia history. The fact that, you know, Dave Rennie's four-year plan was blown up, right? Um, You know, I'm not saying that Australia would have won the World Cup with Dave Rennie at the helm, but I I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that we probably would have done better than this World Cup. You know, you could see there that, and and recent weeks have, I think, really soured Eddie Jones's reputation here with comments he's made about uh, leadership in past Wallabies teams. And he sit there and he said, that's Michael Hooper, one of the immortals of the game, one of the great leaders of Australian rugby, who has suffered and at times put the entire Wallabies on his back when no one else has shown up, he's always shown up 110%. And to call him a poor leader or to call Quaid, even Quaid Cooper a poor leader, now Quaid's not, has never, has not been a perfect person. But last year, I think he showed exceptional leadership uh, in Australians' international campaigns there. There's a great clip that someone posted of him talking to the team right before a comeback win for the Wallabies. Um, and so I think that's really disrespectful for someone that hasn't been here. Right for someone that wasn't here to make comments on that on the leadership of the players, I think that's wrong. I think when you're a coach, you never attack your own players, never. Even if you've dropped them from the squad, Eddie Jones, as head coach of the Wallabies, has had stewardship of all Australian rugby players. To attack any one of them is, I think, a, a disgrace. I think it's it's a failure of leadership, it's a failure of coaching, and it's a failure of just general human decency. Um, 
if you you could you you criticize upwards, I think when you're when you're a coach, you and you know he has his critiques of rugby Australia, and I think some of them are valid, right? It's a bit of it's a, it's a shit show at the moment. There's disagreements, but you know you've got to work. We, we, we you've got to work through it, and you know. I don't think, you know, all the issues that he had with Rugby Australia, I don't think he's helped them. I don't think he's, you know, if he's seen these issues, I think he's come in and complained. I don't think he's come in and looked to help them at all. I think he was he was a great marketing item. When he first came in, he was a great news headline. He was great for getting some more support behind rugby, but he wasn't a good coach and he wasn't a good administrator, which you have to be as the Wallabies head coach, as the head coach of a national team. You have to have a little bit of that as well. So, I mean... If you you look back with with 2020 vision and you sort of think, well, what could we have done differently, right? I don't think you bring Eddie in as the head coach. I think you bring him in as coaching director or something else like that. Um, I think a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people just say, if we knew what we knew now, we just wouldn't have brought him in at all and just continued on with Rennie. I don't think that's a fair assessment to to make because it, you you have to look at the circumstances at the time and put yourself in those shoes, right? This is the Eddie Jones that made it to a World Cup final. Um, in the previous World Cup, 73% winning record with England, always seemed to smack Australia around, knew what our weaknesses were, uh, was a successful head coach, had been successful with multiple countries, including Australia, South Africa, Japan, England, right? So you see that all on paper, um, and you think, well, this guy, he's expressed a desire to come back to Australia. Let's get, we should get him involved somehow. I think anyone that says, oh, I wouldn't have brought him on at all, I is is bullshitting and you're lying to yourself and to everyone else. But I think the way that they treated Rennie was not right. Even, even if Rennie wasn't the best head coach Australia's ever had, even if he was one of the worst, you know, you still, I think, allow him to pay out his contract and you bring Eddie in, in an advising role, mm-hmm. right? Or you bring him in, in a coaching director role um, to completely unbalance the ship the way that it did less than 12 months out. And we, we even said like, that's a, bold move a very very bold and, and risky move you know uh england did it but they did it and they put in place the deputy of eddie jones like so he was the similar system similar structures he was familiar with the players and stuff eddie's coming in from a long stint overseas he's not familiar with his players he's not familiar with working at with them at a coaching level he's used to coaching against them but not coaching them uh so yeah for for me uh, it was a it was a gamble they rolled the dice and it was it failed but it failed because of Eddie Jones, his, his attitude at times and the way he treated the players, which I think is really wrong. If he'd come in, had a genuine crack and, you know, just didn't chuck a grenade in. Oh, it, essentially what he did was he threw a bunch of shit at the wall and saw what stuck, right? Or tried to see what stuck. Yeah. Uh, he threw out his toys. Um, a, he whinged a lot. Uh, and now at the end here, he's attacked Rugby Australia and the players on his way out. So he's fired a parting shot on the, his way out the door. And I think this has probably ruined his legacy. It's probably ruined his coaching legacy. Unless he pulls off a miracle with Japan or where, wherever he goes next, I think he's probably going to be an infamous character in rugby, in world rugby history. And probably rightfully so. With As I said, the, attacking the players, that for me is an unforgivable sin. Unforgivable. It's, it's just, yeah, it's so interesting, like, I just don't understand the perspective that he's got here. Like trying to trying to get inside his head now. Like you've selected a young squad, you've left out these players, but yet you chose them for the rugby championship and then said about yeah. their leadership. Like I yeah, I just I the Michael Hooper one gets me because Michael Hooper 
so selfless. Like we saw yeah. the first time he put himself over the team was actually to benefit the team when he was having mental health issues. And for you to go to play like that, I just, again, it's it's one of those things where everyone who works with Eddie Jones seems to love working with him. Like, you know, the English players, you never heard anything bad. Even these Aussie ones currently, you never heard anything bad. It's the same thing with Michael Hooper. I've The fact that I've never, ever heard someone make the statement that Eddie Jones has made just leaves me going like, what's going on? And then... For him mm-hmm. to select such a young team to go to a Rugby World Cup, to get knocked out in the pool stages, I just go, what has happened the past year? Like, what has, like, what was he, like, you've got 33 te- players to select, and I just, the squad he selected, I'm still in, yeah, look, he's done no help for mm-hmm. himself. I'll definitely, I'll, I agree with you there. I think his legacy, yeah. especially in Australian rugby, is now in tatters. Like, again, everyone's going to yeah. be like, Eddie Jones, very good coach, rah, rah, all over the world. But in Australian rugby, what he's done, unless the next person can turn it around and you can say, say Carter Gordon goes on to become the greatest ever first fly half in the, in the game, and you go, that was probably because Eddie gave him a shot, rah, rah, rah. But even that, someone's going to have to turn Carter Gordon into the greatest fly half in the world. And yeah. look, what you had, you had, you had, as you've said, you had the answers under Rennie. It went Rennie, then McKellar. Yeah. And now you haven't got McKellar because he signed for two years. Like, where do you turn to next? No New Zealand coach is going to want to come over there. I yeah. can't see. Well, well there was some. There was ones. some news today about there's a pathway for McKellar to to coach Australia. There's, there's McKellar. There's Stephen Larkham, who I think would be a really good fit because he's one of the great attacking minds that rugby's ever had. And that's you know really where Australia has has suffered is we self inflicted wounds and attack right. Um, and especially this. World Cup, we didn't look threatening at all with ball in hand. Um, so I wouldn't mind Stephen Larkham in there. Other than those two, though, Dan McKellar and Stephen Larkham, I don't know where you look. I really don't know where you look. Because I just, I don't think a New Zealander would take, like, it would have to be an inexperienced New Zealander looking to get his shot. It's not going to take, no. like, you know, you're not pulling uh, one of the super rugby coaches now, you know, it's just not, it's not happening. Like, I, I know Leon McDonald signed to the All Blacks, but say Liam McDonald was available, I don't see him being like, why would I Why would I do that? I saw what you did to Dave Rennie for four years. He just tore him apart and yeah. then gave him, said, see you later. Um, big thing I am pretty happy with for Australian rugby, I think this needed to end the circus, the Eddie Jones circus, and the fact that he resigns, I assume he's not getting that big of a payout for his five no. years. So no. that's where Aussie rugby were stuck in a rock and a hard place, and I do give credit to Eddie Jones if he was like, look... I've actually fucked this up and I can't save this situation. Let me just resign. You don't have to pay me yeah. out. Aussie rugby have handled Aussie rugby to their credit, I think have handled it well by coming out and just saying we support him, we support him, we support him. Now it looks bad on Eddie Jones and it doesn't look so bad on Aussie rugby. But mm. it, like, where to now? You're meant to. This is this is your chance. You've got a British and Irish Lions test in two years. You've got the World Cup at home in four years. This decision is now so key. And so I imagine mm-hmm. they take a lot of time to make this decision. They need to get the right person on board who's going to jump in and around yeah. this centralised contract, who's going to have the faith of all the Super Rugby teams. So it's a, it's a big it's a big appointment. And I think you've got to get someone who's been in the Brumby system or in the Queensland Red system because those are the two that are really holding out for centralisation. So you need someone who's got those relationships with those parties to get them on board, which is, again, why I look at McKellar and Larkham Within the Queensland Red system, I don't, I don't really have an answer for who it could be. I but, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if, if they, not as head coach, and don't get me wrong, this is not. Although I think it might do the world a good. Um, Brad Ford, 
currently mm. taking some time off. Just even get him in there as a forwards coach. He'd be great yeah. for the culture of Australian rugby. You don't mm -hmm. put him in a position where he's the head coach and has to, you know, he's made some tough decisions. All, all he's about is how hard players work, rah, 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 yeah. all of that. So I, I would put him in there in this. And, and again, he's got that relationship to the Reds. The Reds loved him when they were there, like the the, 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 the front office at least, or the back office, whatever you want to call it. Um, some of the players may not have, um, James O'Connor mm. and so. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just, it's an interesting time with some big decisions to be made. And, I, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. I don't know where they turn. It's tough. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. Um, shall we move on, though, for that Rugby World Cup in 2027? We have a new format. Yeah. How are you feeling about that, my friend? Uh, good. I think it's it's time to get some more of these lower-tier nation involved. Uh, we see it all the time in rugby, rugby league, all sports. The more you get the lower tier teams involved playing the upper tier teams, the more they grow, right? So we saw it with Argentina over the years, improved, improved, improved. We seen it with Japan, improved, 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 right? Italy, improved, improved, improved. Georgia, improved, improved, improved. Portugal, throughout the course of this World Cup, improved, improved, improved. I think it's great. You're going to get, uh, as well, countries like USA involved with the huge market there, right? Um, you know, I think it was probably very detrimental for this World Cup to not have USA involved because of those viewership numbers, right? Uh, I think it's, and then you have these island, the island, the nations now, they will have more success at the World Cup because there will be lower tier teams involved. They're more likely to have wins. Uh, I like that it's an extended uh, finals with a round of 16 uh, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, much like the soccer World Cup. So I'm a fan overall of of the changes. Um, I think it is, and I think we avoid what we had this World Cup where you have, you know, a France and New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland in the same pool and Scotland in the same pool and then Scotland misses out kind of thing. Now it comes down to those sudden death matches in the finals time. It feels like the, the pool stage, the teams that should qualify should get through the pool stage, right? In the finals time, that is where the, the quality matches, the real super quality matches happen. And that's the same with the Soccer World Cup, and that's the most successful sporting event in the world, right? It's the most yeah. successful sporting tournament anyway. So I, I quite like the changes. The only thing I dislike about a 24-team pool is the fact that only a handful of the third-place teams get in. So mm. you could finish on the same points total with someone else but not get in because of points difference. And I'm not a big fan of that purely because, you know, you could end up in a pool, let's just say, for an example, of a New Zealand-Australia, just pulling from this World Cup, you know, and then like a, I don't know, your Portugal, let's put Portugal in there, could be third and have to play two tougher teams versus mm. someone else finishing third in it. Like, you know, it still leaves a little bit of a grey area to me. And I, but that's, yeah. this is the only way you can do it. I get it. And we yeah. can... Quite and there's to, never going to be a perfect tournament format, I think. I think there's no, never exactly. going to be Until we get enough teams to quality level where we can make it, what is it, six pools, like the way the Rugby World, uh, Football World Cup is, and so it's all just the top two teams and it's... Yeah, I think that's I think that's a 32-team 32-team, yeah, 32-team. Right? And we're not, we're not close to that yet. We don't have enough for yeah. 32 teams. But I think we will. That'll be the eventual thing. We'll have 32 teams, yeah. four pools of six, top two, whatever it is, rah, rah, rah. Um, six, four pools no, of, it's eight pools of four. Eight pools of four. There you go. Yep. Um, and yeah, and then you'll end up with the top two. And I think that that's the perfect um, 
format, but I don't, yeah, again, that'd be too many teams that don't deserve to be at a Rugby World Cup. But again, that's what we should be aiming for. Now, saying yep. all of this and how good this is for Rugby World Cups, they've launched this new Rugby Nations or whatever it is tournament, mm. um, which kind of works against what they've done for the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. With only, so the Six Nations teams and the four rugby championships, and then it's looking to be Fiji and Japan from the rugby championships to be competing. Um, no talk of promotion, relegation, or changes or anything like that. For, for two years, it's locked. So for two years, it's going to be locked with those teams. And Tonga and Samoa have already come out and said, this is not yes. great. <laughs> you know, this is pretty shit. And I agree with them, you know. Um I think there, I think that there should be promotion relegation right from day one, um, and to, for a chance for those nations to be involved. So I, I think they're rightfully pissed off. I, I agree. I, I saw Lima Sobwani came out with a statement, and yeah, I couldn't agree more with them. Like again, if we're looking to grow the game, more games against those tier two nations just make more sense to me. Um, and again, I haven't got a perfect format for it yet, but I'm sure we could sit down and come up with something better than what the rugby board have come up with but uh, yeah. it's also a money thing like we've got to the mm. game's the game you've got to understand that this is probably the best way for them to make money again they yeah a game Samoa against England is probably not making as much money as a as a New Zealand England type thing like that so like there's bits and pieces to that but again in the end if we want to keep World Rugby alive and keep expanding I think 32 teams is the goal then we need more tournaments with some of those lesser teams, or lesser teams, tier two nations, yep. should I say. All right, finish off today. World Rugby Awards was announced last night. Um, yeah. Obviously the greatest player of all time. Um, crowning moment after defeat that he had to suffer. Um, and, and as as Wayne Barnes said, I think you're captain now, Artie Savia. Like, it was just yeah. known. Like, it wasn't even a – he didn't have to say he was captain. When you, you know you're a good captain when you, you're getting told by the referee that you are the captain. So, Artie Savia, <laughs> best rugby player in the world. Are you sure um, that wasn't just an admin thing? <laughs> no, nope, sure nope, this, is, this is how it is. He is the greatest yeah. rugby player ever and deservedly wins the award. Look, I yes, love the four 100%. nominations. Um, I thought all four, Ibn Etzebeth had a good, great year. Um, mm. Bandiaki had probably the best Rugby World Cup. Um, and then Anton Dupont is obviously Anton Dupont. Um, yeah. But saying that, I think the right man won. I think Adi Savi has been incredible this year. Yeah. Um, I look at Breakthrough Player of the Year was Mark Talia, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is also very deserved again and showed off in the Rugby World Cup final why he was the Breakthrough Player of the Year. Nine tackles broken. Um, yeah. I will say, so the, they also released the Dream 15 team. Um, and only one South African made it. And there's a little mm. bit of controversy around that, but I think that's credit to South Africa. Yeah. Because that's what South Africa is. They're a team. It's a, a championship team, not a team of champions. You know? That's what it 100%. is. It's the saying. It's the saying. And and there are a couple. I think Stephen Kitsoff has had a fantastic year, probably deserves in there. But when you look mm. at players like Sia Kulesi, who was out injured for most of it, uh, Peter Steftetua, only like that, game against the All Blacks reminded me of how good he was back when he won Player of the Year, I think it was 2019, and I was like, that was the Peter Steph that we all know, like, that mm. is who he is as a player. I don't think he's had a year like that, but he had a World Cup performance like that. You look at yep. Andre Pollard out injured, Chiz and Kobe maybe, but again, the wingers they selected, I thought Pinot and both Jordan 
have been fantastic. So I mm. sat there and I was like, I actually, I actually agree with most of the team. There's not a lot of disagreement to it. Yes, you could make arguments for more South Africans in there, but I could out counter argue that. Um, so yeah, I think Stephen Kitsoff is the only one that stood out to me. I was like, he's had just a year mm. to remember um, as a as a big ginger front rower. Um, so yeah, that was the only one that really stood out to me. Other than that, I was like, solid team with, um, I guess, a solid group of players. Um, there were obviously other awards. There were the sevens were awards were handed out. I know an Argentinian won that for the men's. Um, was there any other awards? Kiwi won it for the women's. She did. Ah Wong, I think it was. Um, yes, it was because she's also a uh, NRLW Dragons player. She is. Um, was there, there any other big awards? Am I missing something? I know John Smith won an award for Spirit of Rugby. Um, memory. It's not good, team. Uh, the coach of the year was Andy oh, Farrell, Andy I think, right? Yeah, which yeah. I tend to... It's hard. I think he probably deserves it. They've been the best coach team of yeah. the year. I'd give them that. But uh, to go past the two finalists is pretty tough, I think. Um, yeah, but hey, that's what it is, I guess. That's that's one where I, you could sit there and make an argument. Well, I think, that, I think Ireland's lost... Uh, they only lost one game all year, which was... Unfortunately, the quarterfinal. I think they think they lost. Other than that, no, they wouldn't have. So yeah, yeah. but again, yeah, I mean it's it's, there, it's up there for it's up there for debate. Yeah, you know, for sure. I don't imagine it was an easy decision. No, no, and I tend to agree. Yeah, that, that, that's probably the hardest one to debate. Mm. Um, excellent. That is pretty much the international calendar. I think for this year done. It was um, a barbarians versus Wales game. Yep. <laughs> That sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Hooper's playing, so that's... Isn't you know, Eddie that's Jones assistant coaching as well? Yeah. Must be, is that not going to be the most awkward thing in the world? I think Michael Hooper's already responded to it and was just very classy about it, as Michael Hooper would be. So I think he... I don't think Michael Hooper will do anything about it. I think he'll just... He'll he'll be what Michael Hooper always is, which is uh, an angel in human form, and he'll just let his actions speak louder than his words, and Eddie Jones will sit in the corner and feel bad. You... I, I was about to say the I'm sure I agree with Eddie. Like I reckon Hooper's going to go in there with a terrible attitude, just stink up the whole gaff. Yeah, just... that's definitely that's definitely Michael Hooper's reputation as the type of player he is. Petty, exactly. You know, yeah. petty. But I wouldn't say it any other way. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> the more and more we talk about it, the more and more ridiculous. I can't believe this Eddie Jones spell yeah. is being. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, a dark year for Australian rugby. Yeah, and it doesn't get much lighter over here, to be honest. Rugby World Cup final loss. But Artie Savi is the best player in the world, so hey, I'm going to hang my cap on that. Um, yep. Super Rugby around the corner, at least. We've got that to mm-hmm. look forward to. Um, prediction, early season prediction, like six months before. Where do your Waratahs finish, bud? Fifth. Fifth? One place up from this year. This year? I, no. You know? Yeah. It's, I it's, think I think they could do it. If Angus Bell stays healthier for longer, if we stay healthier for longer... We've got a, we've got a squad, you know, but it's just depth that worries me. As with all Australian teams, it's depth. Well, I love the the signing you made, Fergus Lee Warner, um, yep. back from the UK, and he was fantastic at the Western Force. I was uh, in awe of him. Uh, there was a the big Western English prop we signed as well, who looks well, like the most English bl- bloke I've ever seen who <laughs> played for Saracens. You know, yeah, yeah. So uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, you'll see some more signings coming in. I think some of those mm. under twenty players will step up, and uh, yeah. Get a couple more Yorgudsons in the squad. 
couple more Jorgensen's. But again, again, if he's healthy and a year under his belt, Joseph Soaliti in the team as well. Uh, I don't so. think he's coming this year. I think he's coming next year. He's coming, sorry, I don't think he's coming 2024. I think he's coming 2025. Oh. Don't think Roosters are going to let him out of his contract. Yeah. I tried for you. Um, yeah. Hurricanes without Artie, I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. Um, mm. So we'll see. We'll see. Exciting times ahead. But thank yes. you for joining us over the course of the Rugby World Cup. Um, we'll mm. be back again next week to discuss some other topics, probably break down the World Cup into a bit more categories and discuss some of the key moments throughout that. But for now, I have been Luke. That has been Husey. You've been listening to That Rugby Podcast. Goodbye. Peace. Peace.